So, we're going to talk about legal requirements. What chapter is this in your book? Look and see. Chapter, chapter three, exactly. And so, you should have read chapter one, you should have read chapter two, you definitely need to read chapter three. Next week, we're going to have a test. We're going to have a test on chapters one through four. Okay? And I know I hadn't put up some pop quizzes, but I will try to do that uh, too. I will add your, your, chapter, your chapter quizzes now, guys, are going to be short, short. I mean, they may be only five questions, you know. But in your test, it may be 50 questions on the combined chapters. But I've been told by the bosses here that we need to have more grades. Y'all need to have more things to do, more things to do. Um, and so we've got to put that on Blackboard, being a hybrid. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll do our test test face-to-face -face or if I put it online, but I'll let you know. And I'll see y'all Friday. You'll have me for two hours this coming Friday. So... But anyway, let's get back to legal requirements. What do you think are some legal requirements for landscape construction? It's a good topic, a really good topic. Um, and I'll make sure the slides are up on Blackboard. I'll make sure that the voice is up there and also have a video of this lecture so you can get it in several different methods if you like. Um, don't want y'all to get bored on the weekends. So make sure there's plenty of y'all, plenty of stuff to watch on Blackboard. But our objectives, we're going to develop relationships with other contractors. Why is that important? Why do we want to know the other subcontractors on a landscape installation project? You work with them well. You can kind of scratch my back, scratch your back. I told you all about the time uh, we're doing the O'Reilly's Auto Parts. We got to be real good friends with a grading contractor who also was their cement contractor. He graded a lot and poured all the cement for them. Well, instead of us sending a crew down to do sleeves underneath the driveway to do the irrigation system, he called me, hey, Eric, we're pouring concrete tomorrow. You want us to stick in these sleeves? Thank you. Yes. All right, just give me 400 bucks when you get down here. Gladly. It would have cost me way more to send a crew down there all day, driving two or three hours to the job site, two or three hours back, and spending, you know, it had been overtime that day. So it worked out well. List of potential legal implementation implications of a construction project. We'll talk about that. And we're going to identify sources of information on construction restrictions. So please, please read your textbook. A lot of good information in here. A lot of, a lot of test information that we may not cover today really quickly. So legal requirements protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public and of the contractor you know they're mainly designed to protect the public but guys they protect us too it's it's guidelines to go by it's rules and regulations to go by and that is why we have the landscape contractor license law that's why we have it because it protects the health safety and welfare of the public that's what every licensureship law is designed to do is to protect the general public. Legal counsel should be obtained for their interpretation of any information described herein. 
again, I'm just stating, guys, I'm not an attorney. I'm not an accountant. I'm just telling you, based on our textbooks and definitely a lot of life experiences doing this stuff, it can get kind of hairy out there. It's scary when you start talking about pay applications and lien waivers because I've never really understood this. To get paid on a large commercial landscape job, you got to sign a lien waiver with your payment application. What does that lien waiver do? That's stating that you're not going to put a lien on the property if they don't pay you. You've got to sign that lien waiver with, with your pay application to get paid. And if the builder goes belly up, you, you've signed a lien waiver. You're not going to lien the property. How are you going to get your money? You won't. You won't. That's a crazy, scary business way to do business, but it's the only way it's done. To get paid, you've got to sign the lien waiver first. All right, so starting off, you have a contract. The legal binding agreement between the two parties that outline the exchange of services or products for a fee. Now, when we were doing the O'Reilly's Auto Parts, the contracts were simple and sweet, easily three to four pages, and it was the same repeat stuff from contract to contract. Basically stating how you're going to get paid, when you'll get paid, submit this by the certain date, and you'll have it. Now, other projects that we did, contracts were a lot thicker, a lot larger. We did UNCG Student Union. Uh, we did the irrigation system and all the landscaping around that. That was the new student union down there, right in the heart of campus. An awesome, awesome uh, building and a lot of landscaping. We did all the, uh, the turf grass where the fire, fire trucks could roll over it, you know, had the base gravel, had the, the little plastic rings in it. And I mean, it was a cool project. Um, and I'll tell you about that a little bit later when it comes to specifications. Uh, we, we lost our tail on the, uh, the fireproof. Um, our estimator that was down at the Dodge room estimating the plans did not calculate that in it. And it cost us about, I think it was about 15,000 out of pocket to, to do that. But when you're looking at a hundred plus thousand landscape job, you hate to absorb that, but we didn't lose money on the project. Also in that same situation, it came like 50 year storms every night that we sowed the yard out front. They had the huge, huge grass area out front. I haven't been back down there in a few years. There's probably a building or parking deck out front now, but they had this huge lawn area that we irrigated, three inch main line all the way around. They wanted like a grass area for the students to kind of go out and you know, take a towel and study and you know, just lay out on the lawn. We sowed it four times because it came and washed away four nights in a row. Sowed it, went home, hey, we're gonna have a great stand of grass. Monsoon came, washed it, redid it, monsoon, redid it, monsoon, redid it, monsoon, four times. Who paid for that? Us, us. In our contract, we were to sow it one time, but we were to sow it one time and make sure that the grass come up. So. Things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. But get that contract. It's going to outline everything. When you're getting paid, who's paying you, what you got to do to get paid, uh, what you got to submit with your pay application, and describing the work, the scope of the work that you're doing for the contractor. 
or the homeowner. Your contract documents are going to consist of your plans, which we've seen that. We saw one. We did a little lab last Friday. Your specifications, which is usually a three-ring binder book or a PDF online somewhere that talks about the project, describes the project. And as you can see right there, a good example, having it in that binding. I, I call them telephone books because that's basically usually how thick they are. And then any related documents used to guide the construction of a project. And that could be things like the type of block you're supposed to use in the retaining wall, the type of brick that's coming from Pine Hall Brick. They've got everything specced out. That is the good thing about commercial work. Everything is laid out for you. It's apple for apple when it comes time to bidding uh, the job. Well, if you don't forget something out of the bid. I mean, everything is given to you. I mean, the color of the stone, the, I mean, everything down to a T. And it's all going to be in this little guy right here, your, your specification book. And again, you don't want to ever be sued by the owner or the contractor or whatever. Uh, but in court, this is what's going to hold up, not these. These are for layman terms. You know, anybody should be able to take this and build by it. But this right here is all your legal, legal, uh, legal wording and phrases that relate to that Pacific um, project. Your codes. You're going to have building, electrical, and plumbing. And all of this will affect us too. Why? Why does this affect us? Think about it. What if we're putting in an irrigation system? We're also irrigation contractors, so we need to know the plumbing code. What need, and, it go, and it's different from municipality to municipality, not just states, but from municipality to municipality. Yeah, we have to have a North Carolina irrigation contractor's license to install the system, and you've got to have a limited plumbing license if you're doing the backflow, but different, different cities may require the backflow be above ground or below ground. You need to find out that information prior to doing the work because it's cheaper to put it to put the backflow in the ground. It's easier, it looks cleaner. If you're putting the backflow above ground, then you gotta have an electrical outlet beside it. You've got to have a heated box. So you're gonna to have to hire the electrician to run that out there for you because you can't do it because you're not a licensed electrical contractor. All that plays into role. And also you got to know about uh, the depths of these lines. We've done so many residential lawns sewing a new yard that I swear the, the phone cable, the phone and cable companies look for us. They have somebody like driving through neighborhood. They get ready to sew the yard. They got the tractor and the straw and everything right here. And they run out there real quick and they lay the cables on top of the ground and then let us sew the yard and put straw on top of it. Why do they do that? because they don't have to trench it. But you really look at some of these building codes require that phone and cable be buried at least four inches, five inches sometimes. Because what do you think is going to happen when that customer plugs and seeds their yard? They're going to hit it. Then they're going to be mad that the internet's down for a couple of days while they run a new line for them. All that, all that happens but then you, we're the ones that get blamed. 
Because guess what? We might be required to plug it and seed it in the specifications and take care of it, maintain it for one year. And then we go back and plug and seed it. There's the phone cable laying on top of the ground. So always know the codes. They lay it on top of the ground. It's ridiculous. I don't like anything not buried. We've hit gas lines. We've hit nurse calls. That's probably one of the most expensive things we ever hit was one of these fiber optic nurse call lines that went to every house on a property that we maintain. That's why you have liability insurance. They take care of stuff like that. And it don't matter if you get ULOCO or North Carolina 811 to come locate the lines. It's still going to be your fault. Ordinances. What about zoning, parking, any signage, street trees? There we go. Laws that govern the type, size, and location of improvements on private property. You may not plant Leland Cypress or Bradford pears in the city of so-and-so. You got to find that out. Your customer wants a Leland Cypress hedge in the background, in the back of their property. The city may not allow them to do that anymore because of all the ice damage. Same thing with Bradford pears. Some cities aren't letting you plant crepe myrtles anymore. You got to find that out. That's totally up to you, the contractor. Double check it. Again, these plans may have been drawn two or three years prior to you installing them. So some of the laws and stuff may have changed. Um, check with zoning. Yeah, we got to have so many trees per 10 parking spaces in the parking lot. Double check this stuff. Because the last thing you want to do is get there with X amount of trees and you need two more because of zoning requirements. It comes out of your pocket because you've already submitted the bid. They're looking at bottom dollar. You know, when you submit your estimate, yeah, we do line item estimates. Like, you know, there's 10 maple trees in the parking lot, then there's 20 crepe myrtles, then there's 50 dwarf burfords, whatever's on there, we list it out. But that owner and that contractor is looking at that total dollar down at the bottom. You give us a price, you should have had 12 trees on there instead of the 10. Not my problem, yours. So double check everything. Verify all legal requirements with the planning department, the permitting office, inspections, and if there's an HOA. We built a retaining wall in a very, very popular, ritzy, rich neighborhood. I mean, houses 450 plus. We were going to build a retaining wall. We called it HOA. We don't allow modular block walls in here. It has to be landscape timbers. And we built a huge retaining wall out of these timbers. Because the dude bought a lot on the cliffside, and he wanted enough room in the back to put a swing set for his little girl. You have to check that. The homeowner didn't even know. A lot of homeowner associations, if they're redoing their front foundation planting, they have to get it approved by the HOA. Bring in a plan, bring in pictures of the plants. We want to see that it 
looks like every other house in the neighborhood or we have this look that we're trying to create uniformity throughout the neighborhood you have to check with it all check with permitting do you have to have a landscape permit some cities require that believe it or not and then check with inspections they're going to come and inspect the landscape you know charlotte they call them the tree police now they're going around inspecting every landscape job that's done measuring the caliper of the tree the height of the tree the width of it the canopy making sure that it's planted to correct depth I deal with these contractors every day, sometimes on the phone. They're like, they call them the tree police. Your contractor-client relationship, obtaining the work, guys. How do we do that? How do we do it? One, direct procurement, competitive negotiation, and then competitive bidding. Those are your three major ways to get it. Probably the most popular one in today's market would be competitive bidding, where they're going to advertise for bids. And the general contractor who's bidding on the project has to turn their stuff in. And so what's really funny, they may have a Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock bid deadline, but you have to turn in your bid to the general contractor by 12 noon so they can put together finished piecing the total cost. They get all their subs to submit their price work. And then all they've got to do is type it up and here's our sealed bid due at three o'clock. A lot of times if you miss that three o'clock, guess what? You don't have a chance to bid on it. That competitive bidding can get nerve wracking. You're sitting around waiting. Okay, if I get the job, did I bid it too low? Or am I way too high if I didn't get it? So direct procurement. It's basically word of mouth, guys. It's acquisition of contracts directly from the client. You already have a relationship with them. Obtained from either advertising or marketing, uh, as well as word of mouth from the previous client. I mean, they just like you. They just like you. And voila, with the social media that's going on right now, you can get a lot of work from just direct procurement. Because why? You're already selling them on social media. They're seeing your work. They're seeing you out working every single day. They know you. They know you through social media, and they've learned to like you through the social media. So they, don't, they might not even ask for bids. They just may say, hey, you're the only contractor we're talking to. What's this going to cost? You know, if it's in our budget, well, what is your budget? Eh, such and such, maybe, you know, maybe we can extend it a little bit, but kind of around this, and you come back with a, with a price and a little plan saying, hey, we can do this, you've got it. That's direct procurement. You're not having to worry about your competitors. You sell the services and materials to the client without any competition. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that can be done, guys. That can be done with your marketing. Competitive negotiation. Submittal of detailed explanations and itemization of services based on similar proposals. Now, good example. Is the irrigation contractor using Hunter, Rainbird, or Toro? Because we have lost irrigation jobs because they're using weathermatic crap 
We use nothing but Hunter and Rainbird. Preferably Rainbird. But we've lost jobs to... I mean, just cheap bids because they're buying a Weathermatic irrigation controller for 49 bucks at the big box stores. We're buying Hunter or Rainbird clocks that are costing us 400 that are Wi-Fi enabled. And then we're using I-5000 Rainbird rotors and they're using the cheap ones that they can get at Home Depot and Lowe's. What, how, how is that fair? How is that fair? You know, of course, when they have $1,000 cheaper in materials, they're going to get the job. And then when their labor rate's 15, as I've heard from some of them, what the homeowner's not getting is quality work. So there is no competitive negotiation unless everything is spec'd out. Is the irrigation contractor using Schedule 40 or PSR 200 pipe? Schedule 40 is a thicker walled pipe that costs more money per linear foot. The PSR 200 is a thin walled pipe that can only be used for irrigation. You're not going to use it in a house for plumbing. You better check your specifications because that's going to tell you. Same thing, student union down at UNCG. We showed up with PSR 200. I didn't read the specs. Not the superintendent for the general contractor, but the guy that was over construction for UNCG. He was a state employee for UNCG. He walked by and said, man, this is PSR 200. Specification calls for Schedule 40. Get that stuff out of here. I had to call John Deere Landscapes. Hey, man, switch it out for us. All right, we're on our way. Read the specs. Everything has to be spec for spec. Can be client originated or solicited from the general contractor or the landscape architect. So again, this is everything laid out for you. They've spec'd it. Competitive bidding, prices are submitted in a sealed project cost based on a Pacific design. Contractors are usually qualified. You have to submit financial statements, all kinds of stuff. You need to prove that you're legit or you have to be bonded. And bonded is, you know, the bond company checks you out financially. Are you good? Are you, are you still going to be in business after this project? And then the contractors are selected on the lowest bid. And that, that's kind of scary. But everything that they do here at the school, everything here at the college, they have to. They're, they're required to accept the lowest bid. Landscape and irrigation contractors usually do not submit the sealed bids but will work for the general contractor who does. So we, we are working for the GC. So we might have, we might have, I'm trying to think of some big GCs that we've worked for, uh, creative structures. You know, we're submitting our, we're submitting our bid to them. Um, creative structures might be bidding against um, Shellco. They might be bidding against two or three other large commercial general contractors who they get the bids from us. And really, again, you hope that they have everything specified out for you on something like this. Um, 
But competitive bidding, remember, we're submitting our bids to the GC with competitive negotiation, um, can be originated from the, from the GC or the landscape architect. You know, they're, they're kind of, they've pretty much already got the job. Let's say Creative Structures has already got the job and they're coming back to us and we're negotiating a price for them. This sealed bid crap, it's basically whoever's the cheapest, whoever's the cheapest. Your relationship, when work is secured, we are the prime contractor or are we a subcontractor? Depends. Depends. Are we working directly for the owner or are we working for a GC? If we're working for a general contractor, we're considered a subcontractor. If we're working for the home, homeowner, we're considered the prime contractor. Relationship can be affected by the design professionals or consulting construction manager. Now, a lot, what a lot of landscape architects are doing now is they're offering construction management services to their clients. Means that they're gonna, they're gonna carry the project through implementation. They're gonna sign off on it when you've completed the install and they're gonna say, this is installed per our designs. You're good to go to pay the landscape contractor. You're, you're okay to do that. I highly recommend Guys, if you are doing large commercial stuff like this, that you go ahead and get your GC license. It is one of the easiest licenses to obtain. It's a matter of having a few dollars in the bank for 30 days, and you can borrow that from somebody and put it in there for 30 days. And they're going to check that. They're going to look at your bank account. They're going to call your bank. Hey, does Eric have money in the bank? Yes. And they want to see that you have zero debt. In the company, you can have everything financed to the hilt personally, and so you see all this legal stuff that we can work around? There's ways to do it. There's ways to do it. But I highly recommend getting your GC license if you're planning on being a landscape contractor. It just kind of covers you on everything. Um, so here it is. If, um, if we're a subcontractor, we have the owner here who has hired a GC or a construction management firm. Now, what is the difference between general contracting and construction management, usually when it comes to pricing? General contractors, again, they submit the competitive bid. A construction management company, which a construction manager still has to have the general contractor's license, but they're performing their services differently. A construction manager takes, takes the job and they're gonna go out and get bids for the customer. And they're gonna charge a percentage of which one that the client chooses. So let's say a GC doing strictly general contracting, they're gonna give a sealed bid and they're gonna give a final price. Construction management is more design build or working off a percentage. So whichever the way the owner goes, you have your subcontractor, subcontractor, landscape contractor. This could be your electrical, this could be your plumbing, however you want to do it. Your owner's agent, who is your owner's agent? The landscape architect, the real estate broker that's helping them buy the house or helping them buy the property, the architect that's designed the plans. And sometimes the owner's agent can be that construction manager and help them select from it. Because not every person you work for is going to want to take the cheapest bid. They may want to do it based on 
personality, just the comfortableness that they feel with the contractor. So it's a lot more involved with it. You know, there may be more meetings and stuff like that. They may want to see examples of your work, things of that nature. The landscape contractor as a general contractor. You have the owner. The owner directly hires you. And I should have called that prime because we're not, um, we're not actually a general contractor. We're acting as a prime contractor. We're the one. And then the landscape contractor can hire out the irrigation, paving, or other subs. We have to be careful right here, guys. When you hire someone to work on someone else's property other than yours, you need to have that GC license. So if a landscape contractor is hiring a plumber to do an outdoor kitchen faucet hookup, have your GC license. Or the homeowner needs to pay and hire that plumbing contractor directly. It doesn't need to come out of your bank account because that's where they can trace it back to you. Get your GC license along with your landscape contractor license. You can take a, uh, a one-day class on how to pass it. They're going to basically give you the test as a practice test. And then they're going to let you go and sit for it. There's more problems, there's more questions on the GC exam about workers' comp, general liability, and contract documents than there is about building. Yes, they do give you a plan and they're like, all right, where's this door? Where's this sidewalk? Stuff like that. A general contractor oversees a property. They're managing everybody else that's submitting bids. Landscape contractor as one of several general contractors. Now, easier example of this is when we did do the student union at UNCG. They had a building contractor who was the general contractor, but they also separated from the building contractor's contract the electrical contractor and the HVAC contractor. Plumbing still operated underneath the building. And what it was is they wanted to have the electrician and the HVAC contractors to have their own separate contracts. Well, what was funny, the original electrical contractor on the job went belly up. He went broke. So they, they enforced his bond. His bond company had to come in and pay Star Electric an hourly rate to finish the project. Star Electric came out good on top of that project. So this is basically time and materials to finish it because they didn't give a contract. But the bond company guaranteed UNCG that that would be finished. But here, the owner hires an owner's agent, usually the designer, and then there's the builder, electrician, and landscape contractor. And then the builder has his subs, you know, he's hiring his sheetrockers, flooring guys, electrician, maybe hiring somebody to install a lamp post for him outside. And then the landscape contractor, we might be hiring a paving contractor to pour the driveway, stuff like that. We're acting as primes, and then there's subs. So there's different ways these projects can go. 
Uh, the GC, responsible for the entire project, holds the prime construction contract with the client. Maybe the owner or financer of speculative construction. So, the GC can go and get a loan and build a house or a commercial building with no tenants or no buyers in sight. They're building it on speculation that when they near completion, somebody's going to come in and say, I want to buy that house or I want to rent this space from you. It's a cat and mouse game, man. You can really get in trouble um, with this. You can make a lot of money with it, or you can lose everything you've got. If the market turns and you've got two or three spec property setting, guess what? The bank's going to come and take it. There's an old saying, the banks can break you, and they will if they have the opportunity. They're going to protect their interest in the property. Your subs, they perform specialized work for the project. They seldom have a contract with the client. Their contract's with the GC. That contract can either be formal or informal. Formal means there's the written paperwork, it's a big commercial project, they've gotta have paperwork. If you're working for a home builder, it's gonna be, hey, hey Jonesy, I got this house ready over there, just landscape it for us. You know the budget that I like using, you know, 35, $4,000 depending on the, you know, the house here, uh, but that's what we'll put in. I'll get you in touch with the owners if they want to add anything to it, but otherwise just do what we normally do. Examples for the contractors could be your irrigation, plant installation could be one. There's companies that just do retaining walls and paving. Third parties, your design professional can be a landscape architect, a landscape designer, and a building architect. The liaison between the GC and the client, conducting communication between the two parties. Very seldom do you get a chance to talk to the owner. You're gonna to talk to the GC who's gonna to come to you after talking to the client. Your construction management or manager is a project management firm. There is a bridge between design and construction. It means they're usually doing all of it. There's three types. There's design build, which the construction manager has landscape architects, architects, engineers on staff, and they also build the project. Then there's agency, and then there's at-risk model. It's actually, it's pretty cool on how this stuff works. Your design build, you are employed to complete both the design and implementation or construction of the project. You design it, you build it. Your agency, for a fee, assists the owner in employing both the design and construction firms. So Eric Jones, construction management agency, will hire Shirley Moser to design the project after introducing Shirley to Mr. and Ms. Smith, who want a landscape designer. Eric Jones, construction management agency, is also going to introduce them to Caitlin, who is a construction building company. They build landscapes. I've merged the two, I've introduced the two. Mr. and Ms. Smith is gonna give me 30% of the whole project by just lining this stuff up. I'm gonna be there day to day checking on things, making sure Shirley's getting the design done on time, taking the plans to the owner and saying, hey, is this working out? Then I'm gonna get with Caitlin, give us the price, customer wants to do this, this and that. So. I have no investment, do I? 
what license do I need to have to be the agency construction manager? I need to have a general contractor's license. To be a construction manager, you need to have the GC license. At risk, you're an at-risk construction manager. The manager acts as the designer and contractor, but guarantees the owner a maximum price. For this project, we can do it for $3 million. Building, infrastructure, landscaping, site improvements. What if the project goes over $3.1 million? You ate it. Yeah, you eat it. If you're at 2.5 million, guess what? You put 500,000 in your pocket. So the three types of construction managers. Required conditions of a contract. You got to have the names and addresses of both parties, the date of the contract preparation, the description of work or scope of services with the material services and location of work, all that. Terms and completion with inspection dates, completion date, and penalties for not completing on time. That is the biggie. Penalties for not completing on time. We want to be in this building by September 15th. Look at all the rain we've had this year. Ma'am, sir, we don't expect the completion to be by September 30th. Okay, you have a $5,000 a day penalty for not letting us move in. And you pay $5,000 times 15. That's how that works. Terms of payment. Please submit your pay application by the 15th of the month to be put in the pile on the following 30th of the month to be paid on the 10th of the third month. I've seen it all like that. It's designed for the builder to hold your money in escrow, gaining interest in their account. Builders have told me they make more money off interest holding subcontractors' payments than they actually do off the jobs. And then you're going to have signatures of both parties with the dates. Your contract documents. Documents used to bid and construct the large projects. They are going to include construction drawings or plans, instructions for bidding. This is how you will bid. You will bid this Friday by 3 o'clock at such and such. You will submit a, um, a bid bond, which means with your estimate, bring us $5,000 check, make payable to the owner for the owner to hold until the completion of the project if you get the job. If you don't get the bid, they give you the check back. They don't even cash it. But if they select you as the, the qualifying contractor, they're gonna hold on to that bid bond to make sure, it's kinda like a, a deposit that you're going to do the work. Your contracts for the construction, your general instructions, which the book talks about that, what goes on on the property, the technical instructions, install the irrigation system like this. Provisions for change orders. Hey, the client wants to switch out 50 jet maples for 50 crepe myrtles, but bigger. You know, if the cost goes up, you need to do the change order. Do the change order even if the cost is the same to cover yourself. And then payment and completion documents. What needs to be signed off uh, to get final payment and all that.
Subcontractor agreements can be in the form of a contract, informal letter of agreement, an oral agreement. Yeah, if you're working for, you know, just a lonely old builder that's by himself, a lot of it's going to be a handshake still. It should address the GC, the work to be performed, payments, timing of the work, insurance and bonding requirements, and then special conditions and agreement by the parties. Now, one thing with your payment applications, even on the small builder, you're going to have to submit probably a certificate of insurance stating that you have workers' compensation and general liability. They're going to want to see that because if not, they can hold a percentage of your payment to pay it because when the GC gets audited by their workers' compensation party, insurance company, they're going to look at every subcontractor and every check wrote to a subcontractor and see that they have workers' comp and GC and general liability. If, they, if the subcontractor doesn't, then they're going to charge the home builder or the GC a premium to cover that individual. So let's say Caitlin gets that big job and she submits payment. Her workers' comp just expired. She submitted a, submitted a pay application, scratched through, whited out the date on the certificate of occupancy. I need to get that, not the certificate of the certificate of insurance. I need to get that certificate of insurance, call up Farm Bureau. Hey, does Caitlin still have insurance? No. She didn't make premium payments last month. We, we canceled on her. Be like, Caitlin, you don't have workers' comp. Get it before you submit the pay application on the next month to be considered the following month to get paid the next month. You see how that works? I just got to hold Caitlin's money four months, drawing interest off of it. That may have been a $50,000 or $100,000, $200,000 project that I'm drawing interest off her money that she needs to conduct her business. All this is in the writing. Make sure you, you, you read it and you understand it. If not, have that attorney's phone number in your phone and sit down with them and give them their hourly rate to make sure everything's okay because it's worth it. Smaller projects, it's a two-party contract. Work performed from proposal or drawings and not an expansive set of contract documents. Can be legally binding. Uh, it can lack specific instructions for every element. And communication and understanding is required by both parties. You gotta have that working relationship. Building codes, you need to know structural, the National Electrical Code and other related building codes for every project. Zoning. Sign ordinance, parking, street ordinance, plant pruning and removal. You need to know that. You need to check with the city. Floodplain and restricted areas. Disposal of site drainage. Where can the water from the parking lot go? Any deed restriction. Is there any historic districts around? They may require only certain plants be planted if it is in a historic district. And then building permits and site plan reviews. Insurance, bonding, bid bond, I talked about that. Submit the payment with your estimate. Performance and payment bonds. Business license, and then you need a contractor's license. You do in the state of North Carolina. Business license comes from each city that you work in. Tort, read about this in the book. Trespassing, nuisance, negligence, repairing rights, 
lateral and subjacent rights. This, you'll see a lot homeowners living side by side get mad at each other over. And that will wrap it up. So please read this chapter. Chapter 3, there's a lot of good information in it for you on the legal aspects of being a landscape contractor.